Thank you, team. And Bridge Kids, you're dismissed. Gosh, you wouldn't think when it's going to be 37 degrees today in January that we would have so many people with the flu. And some of them are out of town as well. This is a rough year for the flu. I had a serious cold earlier in the week, and I thought I might be coming down with the flu, but I bounced back pretty quick by Thursday, so I'm very, very grateful for good health. So we're in the Gospel of Luke today, Luke chapter 4, and um, this is a really uh, significant time. It's sometimes overlooked in uh, Jesus' ministry. The Gospel of Luke displays that God has had a very clear plan throughout history, and he continues to unfold it in Luke chapter 4. Throughout the Old Testament, God announced that he would send a deliverer, a savior. Uh, He would be the ultimate leader. He was called the Messiah. That's kind of a foreign concept. And sometimes I might say messianic, and it doesn't mean messy, it means about Messiah. And the anointed one, the one that God anointed with this special purpose. He would be a great king. He would have an eternal kingdom. In the Gospel of Luke, we have seen this plan unfold already. God sent someone to prepare the way for Messiah. And God spent a lot of uh, preparation, detail, in uh, bringing John, John the Baptist, into the picture. He provided a special birth for Messiah. That would uh, include a miraculous conception, a virgin birth. Uh, His birth would be announced by angels, and his name would be Jesus. Uh, God acknowledged this promised Messiah at the baptism. When Jesus was baptized by John, he said, This is my son. With you I am well pleased. God tested and approved the son uh, in the wilderness in uh, early in Luke chapter 4. And where Jesus faced a severe temptation for over 40 days. The next phase of Jesus' ministry that Luke focuses on, and this is probably not necessarily in chronological order, because uh, that's not necessarily Luke's purpose to always go one event to the other. There's a time gap here, because several other things have happened before we get uh, to Luke chapter 4, verses 13 and on. Um, it is a crucial part of God's plan, and it is the public launch of the Messiah's mission on earth. And it's just really easy to overlook. And uh, so we're going to begin today in verses 14 and 15. God's plan is announced. The setting, verse 14. Jesus returned in Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is very important to Luke. He, he has focused on this. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit. Just to be clear, Luke wants everybody to know. And the news about him spread through the whole countryside. Jesus was becoming popular. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. So there's a pretty significant time gap 
going on here. Um, Luke didn't record some of the early ministry that the Apostle John records in chapter 2. Jesus performs a miracle at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. Uh, In John chapter 3, Jesus meets Nicodemus at the temple. Jesus is in Jerusalem in the south. Uh, Jesus, uh, on, on his way through Samaria meets a woman at the well, and all that conversation takes place, and she comes to faith. That's uh, all happened before we get to this next section. We also know that Jesus has been in Capernaum, a city on the north side of Israel. And so let's just see this on a map. And um, so Jesus, born in Bethlehem, he, he was circumcised. He goes to the temple for a dedication and for purification for his mom. He's going to be baptized north of the Dead Sea near the Jordan River. And we can see that he was raised in Nazareth about 30 years of his life. And then you see the Sea of Galilee in the north. Think of that. That's the, the whole area around that is called Galilee. And this, this portion is called the Galilean ministry that Jesus focuses on. He spends a lot of time in this area. This is home area for him. Uh, The location, verses 16 and 17, he went to Nazareth. And uh, just a quick look back at that map. Can we go backwards? See Nazareth? That's his home. This is his hometown. So the location, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. So, um, synagogue would be a place of worship. There's one temple where there are priests and sacrifices. There is nowhere else in the world where sacrifices are allowed in that kind of worship. However, the Jewish people had gathering places called synagogues. They were a place of worship, a place where the scripture was read, a place where instruction about that scripture was given, sometimes a song. Uh, it's where God was honored and where people learned about God. And it was very important that on the Sabbath, which was, the, uh, which was their seventh day, because Sunday was the first and the Saturday was uh, the seventh day. So this is, this is a Saturday, the Sabbath day. And uh, synagogues were for places where there were ten at least... 10 Jewish males or 10 Jewish families. And that would be a reason to begin to form a place where the scripture would be read and prayer would take place and God would be honored. Now, this was Jesus' custom. This was his life. Everybody knew him there. He went there every week growing up from probably age five on. And... um, it's, a, it's probably not a very big group. We don't know how many people. Um, Nazareth was a smaller town. And we see in verse 17, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place. And we're going to look at that in just a second. So the, the custom would be, there was somebody in charge of this synagogue. It wasn't a priest or it wasn't a Pharisee person in charge was, was like a, the, the leader. I mean, he was just like an elder. He was a um, trained person. We would, we would sometimes use the word call him as a lay leader. 
but he was in charge. And uh, whatever happened there happened with his approval under his authority. So Jesus was probably asked on this occasion to read. That's a great honor. When, when, when rabbis came through, they were some, uh, as a guest, they were sometimes asked. Um, and so Jesus is asked to read. And Jesus stands up to read because that's going to be the custom. When they read from the scripture, uh, they read they, the scripture was a scroll. It was written down that he's going to read uh, probably from Hebrew. And then it would be translated into Aramaic right on the spot in the synagogue. And so Jesus is going to open this scroll up and he's going to read the word of God and he's going to stand to do this. And then what teachers did was they sat down after they read and then they began to explain what they read. So unrolling it, he found this place where it is written. And we look at the scripture in verses 18 and 19. And what scripture is this? This is Isaiah 61 and part of uh, verse 2. Isaiah 61 one and two. Um, and I think we have Luke four right here. The spirit of the Lord is on me. This is also Isaiah 61 verse one. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Next slide. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So that's the main uh, focus that he has to read on this particular day when he's asked to read. It's not a very long section. Um, He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. We know the Holy Spirit is the one who led him to this situation. And this is right out of the text. And um, he, is, he says this, uh, what, what is happening here is that the Spirit of the Lord wants to proclaim good news to the poor. The question is, what is good news? They weren't sure. They had some ideas. One of their favorites would be that Messiah would come and kill all their enemies, throw off everybody, all the governments in charge of them, and uh, just let them be free. And Isaiah 61 says, good news to the poor. What's he going to do? Going to give the poor money? That would be great. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. What prisoners? Will he open the door to all the prisons and let everybody go free who's locked up? And he sent me to proclaim recovery of the sight for the blind. That would be good news. People who cannot see need their sight. And to set the oppressed free. Freedom sounds great. Um, Who are the oppressed? Why are they oppressed? How will they be set free? And the last thing here he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now his audience, and his audience knew this text really well. For one thing, they already knew this was about Messiah. Whether Jesus ever read this text before, 
doesn't make any difference. They know this passage is about Messiah, the promised one. And he mentions the year of the Lord's favor. They also understood. This was a reference to the, to the year of the Jubilee from the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 25. This is an amazing concept that God designed into the nation of Israel as a rhythm for, for throughout history. And they forgot about it. They became self-focused. And here's what it was. So they were instructed that they could work their land and provide work for six years. And every seventh year, there, were, there was to be some rest. And they weren't to work their land. And they were let the land lay and sort of get refreshed. And then they could go back on the eighth year and begin to... Uh, and they were primarily an agrarian economy. So this was really a big deal. And it took a lot of faith not to farm for a year. And they had to trust God to provide Every seven years. And then God said, after seven of those periods, 49 years, I want to pronounce the year of the Jubilee. And uh, we're going to take a big break here at Jubilee. And we're going to have a big celebration. And here's what we're going to do. Um, Debts were going to be forgiven. If you owed your brother money, it's wiped clean. Zero. Credit cards fully paid off. Um, anyone who was a servant, we don't like the word slave, anyone who was a slave, and often people became slaves because of financial issues and they had to serve other people because uh, they were uh, in debt financially, and this was a way they could continue and have their needs met. But anybody who was a slave or a servant must be set free on year 50. All of the family's property had to be returned to the original family. So if you got into financial need and you had to sell your property, it had to be given back to you on year 50. Now, it took faith for God's people to practice this and to believe that God would provide. And on that 50th year, there was no farming. It was rest again for the land. For the land. And it took a great deal of faith to trust God. And, and Israel became self, self-focused. And they, um, they forgot to do this. They didn't want to do this. And they, and they fell out of the practice. Now, the significance of this in verses 20 and 20... And by the way, when, when the Jubilee year came, God's instructions in the Leviticus 25 were that a trumpet should be blown throughout the land. This was a great announcement. Trumpet will sound. Significance, verse 20... This is back to Jesus. Then he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes were of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. So he stood to read. Now he sits down. And he is ready to speak. Jesus is very popular. 
They've heard about some of the stories. They've heard about some of the miracles. Perhaps they've heard, uh, maybe some of them haven't believed, but they've heard about the claim that Jesus was born uh, with a supernatural conception. But verse 21 goes on. He began saying to... um, He began saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Wow. What does that mean? Who is this guy? That's amazing. When Jesus read Isaiah 61 verse 1 and part of verse 2. Jesus left out a small part, but very significant. It was about proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor and to proclaim the day of the Lord's vengeance. Jesus didn't bring that up. Jesus is because it wasn't part of the time. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't ready to be fulfilled. That was not a part of God's mission yet. But it will be. Because Jesus will come again. And that's, that's going to be an important part. And he will be revealed from heaven. In Revelation chapter 19. And God said. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And that's exactly what happens. So uh, what did this mean? This passage that Jesus read. What did it mean? The first thing is. Um, God, God's promised Messiah, the anointed one, is present. Now, you know, that's probably kind of obvious to you. This is really a big deal. Messiah was promised 2,200 years ago to Abraham. God's people have been waiting. They didn't know how it was going to happen, but God's people have been waiting for this person. This is the one promised to King David 900 years ago that there would be a king that would reign on David's throne forever. How is that going to be? They kept looking for great kings and there were a couple of a few good kings, not many. But they were waiting for this great king. That was the promise. Isaiah may be the prophet who told us the most about the Messiah. 800 years before the birth of Jesus. Micah mentioned specifically where he would be born in Bethlehem 800 years earlier. The hope of Israel is now here. That's what Jesus is saying. And how would you feel about that? I mean, this is, he's a homeboy. We all know who he is. He's, he's just one of us. Who does he think he is? This is the one that Gabriel announced to Mary. I have got an entire page missing. Okay. What's our next slide? So God's plan is to proclaim the good news to all who are in need. And let's just kind of review who these uh, people are. Um, 
good news to the poor. To those in financial need. Good news. That's what Jesus did. Jesus went to the masses. Jesus went to the down and out. Jesus went to the ordinary. But one of the things about the poor is they know they have needs. Sometimes the rich or the middle class. Nope. Uh, Well, I'll take it. Thank you. It's not going to help much. <laughs> there we go. God's plan is to proclaim goodness the needy, the poor. Um, Jesus cares for the whole person. Jesus cares about people who don't have the necessities of life. Jesus cares about people who don't have clean water, who can't afford food. Jesus cares. Um, the poor easily recognize their need. Now, sometimes people are poor because of choices they made, and we're quick to be concerned about that. Sometimes people are lazy, aren't they? Sometimes the rich are lazy, and sometimes the middle class are lazy. It's, It's kind of the nature of humans sometimes. But Jesus cares about the poor, He cares about those in bondage. He cares about prisoners. And there weren't a lot about prisoners. Sometimes uh, people who didn't have their their finances, uh, who couldn't pay their bills, were were put into prison. He cares about those people. But there's a lot of metaphor going on here, too. Because sometimes people are in bondage to a lot of different things. Sometimes people are in bondage or in prison to sin. Sometimes they're in prison to an addiction. And Jesus cared about those people. Jesus wanted to help those people. And those without sight, Jesus cares for the whole person. He cares for the physical needs of people. And he dealt with people. And he touched them. And he cared for them. And he healed them. And, but is there a, a deeper idea here? A spiritual concept? Yes. Because people are spiritually blind and they need spiritual sight. The danger for us is to reduce everything to a spiritual problem. And the focus of Jesus was on the whole person. He cared about their physical needs. He cared about their spiritual needs. And those who are overburdened, those who are oppressed, there's, you know, there's, a lot of reasons why people are overburdened. Some it it's it's uh, can can be stress. It can be depression. Um, it can be physical issues. Chronic pain. Um, and sometimes people are oppressed because they find themselves under somebody else else's control. Thirteen kids just removed from a home in Paris, California. Most of you know the story. Unbelievable. It's wrong. It's horrific. It's terrible. Jesus is concerned about justice. 
He's concerned about people who are oppressed because of unjust reasons. People can be oppressed spiritually as well. So the good news includes forgiveness and a clean slate. Jesus uh, announced the year of the Lord's favor, which was all about forgiving debts, letting people go free. And um, his mission, yes, he's going to care for the poor and the oppressed and prisoners. But his mission is to announce something even greater than that. And it's forgiveness for sin for all people. And this is going to be the launch of his mission. This is a year of jubilee, Jesus is saying. This is worthy of the trumpet sounding throughout the whole earth. By the way, one day there will be a trumpet sound for Jesus. You know that. It's when he comes again. The good news includes forgiveness and a clean slate, a fresh start, a new start, forgiveness and your sin wiped clean. That is good news. And not only that, the amazing thing is our, our slate gets wiped clean, but we're still human and we're still imperfect and we still fail. And God has made a provision for us to have that slate wiped clean. Over and over, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us of all unrighteousness. For a follower of Christ, he's made this provision for the clean slate. Application here, John's mission is our mission. Excuse me, Jesus' mission, not John's mission. Jesus' mission is our mission. We are to proclaim the good news to the poor. It's for all people. We are to care about the people that Jesus cared for, the whole person. We are to help people who are in bondage. We are to help people who need spiritual sight and physical care. We are to care for people who are hurting and and who who have been abused. Jesus' mission is our mission. Let's go back and look at... Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. These were Jesus' instructions before he went back to heaven. These were his instructions for his church, uh, to the leaders of his church. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's for all people. Rich, poor, all needs. Every person. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When somebody becomes a disciple of Jesus, a follower, by placing their faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus says they are to be baptized. Verse 20, in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. To proclaim good news to the poor, to the prisoner, to the oppressed. That's our mission. All people. We are to care for the, that includes caring for the whole person. Um, That's why the church historically has done a a really good job at times when there's been great uh, need, whether it's been a plague, uh, persecution, 
The church has stepped up on many, many occasions historically. Um, Sue and I have made decisions to um, support things like, um, okay, we support the bridge financially. We support specific missionaries financially. We take it very seriously. And we also support things outside of those areas that focus on the poor and the needy and those with significant needs. And some of you do this as well. Um, we support Compassion, Compassion International and World Vision in supporting children's. Many of you do too. Uh, children who are poor. We support um, specifically widows and orphans as well with World Vision. We uh, support children who are abused with World Vision. That's why the bridge is involving in helping to provide clean water. That's why we're doing Team World Vision. Because kids are dying every day in Africa. And getting them clean water is a very practical need. And that's not the only thing that this focuses on. This focuses on getting people healthy and caring for them and caring for their community and helping their community develop um, financially, finding jobs, having small businesses, as well as the spiritual and helping them establish churches. Um, this, is, this is why we support as a church here and, and locally is fierce freedom uh, as it relates to uh, human trafficking. Um, this is why people, this is why Christ followers volunteer to care for people in need. And many of you do that. This is why some Christ followers choose careers to help people with special needs. Um, these are just examples. Then Jesus gives the promise, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So this is God's plan. Jesus announced this plan. And uh, he stated that he was present now. And that he was announcing God's favorable year of the Lord. Now we go to the last portion in verses 22 through 30. And um, we find out that God's people, Israel, really didn't want to celebrate this announcement. So God's plan rejected. Look at the response, verse 22. All the speak, all the all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. This was amazing. This is, when you think about what Jesus just said and the things we know about Jesus and the miracles he's done, this is really amazing. What is going on here? This is impressive. And then somebody says, isn't this Joseph's Son, isn't this Joseph and Mary's boy? Well, he is just a carpenter. You know him. There's nothing special about him. Um, and they start to get riled up. And you just don't go around saying these things about God's word. It is wrong. It is very dangerous. God might strike you dead. 
And we see uh, their expectations in verse 23. And Luke probably doesn't record everything the crowd said before Jesus responds here. As they begin to question who he thinks he is. Jesus anticipates some of their thoughts. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote the proverb, Physician, heal yourself. And that was just sort of a proverbial saying. It's, it's uh, not in the Bible, other than right here kind of thing. Physician, heal yourself. Okay, do a miracle for us. Show us your stuff. You've done miracles other places. Now, if you are who you say you are, just, they didn't think he could do it. Prove it to us. And he says, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. A miracle. They're saying, prove it, show us, do something great. Um, Just continue to amaze us. But Jesus continues, and he's going to instruct them about their own history. And it's going to show something about God that they're not going to expect. In verses 24 um, through 27, Jesus gives divine insight. Um, He says in verse 24, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. This is a concept from the Old Testament. It was common for prophets in their hometown not to be appreciated, not to be honored, not to be respected because they were just one of the ordinary guys. To think that God would pick them to do something special for him, it was hard for a prophet in his hometown. Other people would listen in other areas, but it was hard in their hometown. It was also true of Jesus that he would be questioned. Now, I felt a bit of this, by the way, recently. Some of you know I just went back uh, in September to celebrate my 50th high school. Yeah, can you believe 50th high school reunion? Someday you will have one of those. You know, people just couldn't imagine that I would be a pastor. And most of you can't think of me of anything else. But my classmates, who are you, you know? And uh, it was just an interesting uh, time of observation. Verse 25, I sh- I, Jesus goes on, I assure you that there were, this is an amazing thing, he's going to pull two things out of their history, not what they expected, and they will be surprised. He says, I assure you there were many, many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. So Elijah is an 8th century prophet. He's a very important prophet in the history of Israel. God used him in some very significant ways. Everybody knows this story in his audience. And when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, boy, there were people in great need in the land. And they needed God. And they needed his provision. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of, region of Sidon. Now, what's that about? Well, there was a woman there who's, who had a son who had died, and she needed a miracle. And God sent Elijah there. And 
It wasn't in the land of Israel. It was beyond the borders of Israel. And she was not an Israeli. She was not an Israelite. She was a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. And the Jewish people didn't care about them at all. They viewed them as lowlifes. And during this time of, in, of Elijah's ministry, God's people's heart are cold and they're going through the religious motions. And God went to a woman who needed God's help and she knew it. And she knew Elijah knew the true and living God and she asked Elijah for help. Verse 27, and there were many in Israel. Another story with, with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Elisha is uh, the prophet, great prophet of God that followed Elijah. Another small story, but significant. There were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian Elisha went outside of the land of Israel to someone who was not a Jewish person and he healed this person of leprosy. Nobody in Israel got healed from leprosy like that. It had a lot to do with the heart of God's people was cold. They were hardened and they were only going through the motions and uh, so application for us God still cares about outsiders he cared about the widow he cared about Naaman and he was interested in people who were looking for the true and living God people who trusted God people who had faith and the people who had all of the benefits were not paying attention. Now, the crowd has had enough. And they sense that uh, they, they're not interested in Jesus. They're not interested in God's plan. They don't like it. They sense that Jesus was pointing a finger at them. And in verses 28 through 30, we see the attempted murder. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. It made them angry. Jesus was suggesting that their heart was like that. And that God wasn't concerned about them. That God was concerned about those that couldn't be true. That God cares about those people outside Verse 29, they got up and drove him out of town and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Suggested about a 40-foot drop. So just for a, a few moments here, we have a mob scene where they, 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 they are angry. They think Jesus is blaspheming. They think that Jesus is distorting the word of God and they need to do something. Uh, I think the proper thing, if he was guilty, would have been to stone him to death. Uh, but they're going to push him. They don't want to do that. They don't, they're going to take the easy way out and push him off of a cliff. Um, and then we see that in verse 30, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Um, Jesus was undeterred by this obstacle. And 
that they had placed in his uh, life, uh, in his ministry, right on the spot. And uh, Jesus has a mission, and Jesus will continue the mission. And there was something about Jesus that suggested to them that he was more than just a man. And this was not God's time for Jesus' death. There's an appointed time. And God's plan will unfold with his timing. And by the way, are you okay if God unfolds his plan for you in his time? Which likely will not be right on your schedule. And... God has a plan that he is going to work out and he's going to continue to work out. And there is good news and it's for all people. And there are going to be people who suffer and people who are oppressed and people who are starving. And in this life, there may not be immediate help. Jesus promise and that's why he's left the church and created us to go into the world to represent him and do a part and um, there is a day of vengeance coming and Jesus is coming back and he is going to establish his kingdom and there is going to be a time when there is going to be no more pain and no more suffering and no more sorrow and no more tears and that's part of the good news God's people back then, Israel, wanted that to happen immediately. They wanted all their enemies to be destroyed. And there will be justice, total and absolute justice. But right now, God wants to use us to help promote justice in any way that we can. Helping, volunteering, serving, supporting So, uh, final question here. Do you embrace Jesus and his mission? Do you embrace Jesus and his mission? Um, High number of you in this room have placed your faith in Christ and you've embraced Jesus by faith as your Savior. Let's just be clear about what the mission is. That it's more than just practicing evangelism. That it's about Every person, it's about all needs, serious physical needs, health needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. It's about addictions and helping people and recovery. That was Jesus' mission. Um, It's for the poor, it's for those in bondage, it's for those who are oppressed. It's for the social outcast. So, do you embrace Jesus and his mission? Will you follow your leader, Jesus? Let's pray. Stand together with me. Father, I just want to acknowledge that I've often been selective in serving you. 
And I've often been selective in considering the needs of other people. Father, I pray that you'll open my eyes and that you'll broaden my heart and and my perspective to see people the way you do. Help us to engage in the mission that you have for us. The churches seem to be clear about the spiritual needs and the value of the gospel in, in the sense of offering forgiveness of sin. May we just expand our view of care for the whole person and being involved in the solution for justice, whatever steps that may be for this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Jesus got his mission launched and uh, next week, we are going to see how he begins to pr- proclaim the, the good year of God's favor um, as he gets right into proclaiming good news to the poor and the blind and the oppressed. And so uh, have a look at Luke chapter 4 this week, the last part. Uh, also consider signing up for growth groups. Just a reminder, growth groups are the primary way that we get you engaged with discipleship at the bridge, with growing as a Christ follower. So please consider one of the growth groups. God bless you all. We're dismissed.